Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Make sure you do go and have a listen to Kids Bop wherever you get your music from and their YouTube channel. Because uh, great, great stuff for the kids. Put it on in the car. It's honestly, I have it on all the time. Yep. It'll, it'll never give you up. It'll never let you down. <laughs> It doesn't work after yeah, that. It can't work. Well, there's probably loads. We just need to think about them. Keep going. Don't give up. Um, Don't give up. Yeah, we should probably stop now. <laughs> Go and listen to Kids Bop instead. Sorry. Right, let's get on with the show. A Dad's Net original podcast. Coming up on the Dad's Net podcast today, we've got Dr. Zoe Williams, who answers all our questions about how we can help our little ones with winter health. You know those sniffs, those sneezes, those coughs that for whatever reason at the moment we just can't get rid of? Yeah, she helps us, um, you know, work out what we can do to help. Um, if your kid's a nursery as well, you are in you are in the trenches, like the germs that go around. The germs that go around a nursery uh, are unbelievable. So if you've got a nursery, a child at nursery, then uh, you definitely need to give Dr. Zoe Williams a listen uh, for the next 20, 30 minutes. Um, because she definitely shares some insights. Enjoy. Dr. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us on the Dad's Net podcast. Um, as you may be able to hear, my voice is a little husky at the moment um, because I am just getting over a cold <laughs> um, that has left me voiceless. Um, so this seems like the perfect opportunity to get you on and ask you a bunch of questions from the Dad's Net community about looking after your kids' winter health. So thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Um, we'll, we'll launch straight in. We put the question out to our community saying, what would you want to ask Dr. Zoe if you could ask her anything about winter health for your kids? Uh, and the first question, I'm not sure if there's an answer to this, but I guess that's why we, we've got you on, because <laughs> you'll know a lot better than I do. How can we stop our kids getting colds over the winter? Um, well, the the short answer is, you can't completely. But then the, the second answer is you could actually, but you know, a cold transmits the same way that COVID transmits. It's a virus. It does, it transmits exactly the same way. And we all know from the past few years experience, the measures that are required in order to prevent COVID from spreading, closing schools, stopping children having interactions with their family, with their friends, with their grandparents. So, you know, it's, it's about, 
actually, do you know what? Preventing, whilst you can prevent your child getting a cold, you can absolutely wrap them up in cotton wool and isolate them. It's, it's actually not worth it. It's more detrimental to their health than letting them get the cold. So therefore you can't absolutely, um, stop them from being exposed to the common cold virus. And there are many, many different viruses that cause the common cold, but you can do some things to, to reduce the risk. And there's kind of two ways of looking at it. The first one is how can you reduce them being exposed to the virus in the first place? Um, and that comes down to the basics of, of hygiene. So hand washing, um, maybe thinking about alcohol gels if you're in places, public spaces, you know, using public transport, that type of thing. Um, and, you know, getting children, trying to get children to cough into their sleeve and the old, um, where they cough, into, cough and sneeze into their sleeve or into a tissue and throwing it away. So those sort of basic hygiene, those are the things that reduce a virus's ability to spread from one person to another. And I think the other thing is that, you know, for many of us, it is inevitable. And especially for children, they, because they've encountered less of these many viruses before, um, sometimes children get a cold and they don't pass it to their parents. And that's because as a parent, you've been on this planet much longer and there are many viruses you've encountered and your immune response is already built up to certain viruses. Um, so, you know, children are likely to get several colds a year. What you can do is focus on trying to make sure that they're as healthy as possible and therefore have as healthy an immune system as possible, which means that when they do encounter those viruses, they stand a good chance of, of fighting them off relatively quickly and not becoming too unwell. And I guess we can talk a little bit about how you can sort of support your child's immune system and various different ways to approach it. Fantastic. Uh, second question is with kids nowadays spending more time inside on technology, on iPads, on games consoles and not getting outside and getting dirty, you know, getting their hands in the mud. Have, have we seen that have an impact on kids immune systems? So probably like the, it's called, it's called the hygiene hypothesis that scientists, some scientists will argue that actually the reason that, especially there are so many allergies out there now, is because children aren't exposed to dirt, essentially, and various bugs in the ways that perhaps we were as children, certainly our parents and grandparents. Um, so, and that's likely to be part of the reason, but not the entire reason, because we know that allergies are way more common now than they've ever been, and it continues to rise. Um, and actually, our you know, our immune systems, you can almost think of it as, there are so many different parts to our immune system, it's really, really complex. And there's one specific part, um, where you, we have an immune response to worms. We're designed to have this immune response should we encounter worms, the various types of worms that you can either ingest or that can get in through the skin. And it's called the IgE response. And, and if you think about all the things that go with allergies, sort of watering eyes, vomiting, scratching, coughing, sneezing, they're all, physiological responses designed to eject something from the body. And it's actually that part of our immune system, the IgE, is designed to, to, to fight against worms. But because we don't encounter worms anymore, or very rarely, um, it's almost like that part of our immune system's got bored. And it's now responding to things that are harmless, like animal, like animal animal dander or um, pollen or dust mite or eggs or peanuts or whatever. So that's almost kind of like what's happened because we're not exposed to worms, then we have these allergies. And you can think about that for other parts of our immune system as well. So the parts of our immune system that are designed to, ex 
to to respond to bacteria we don't come across as much bacteria now because we tend to live in sterile environments and is it that our immune system's getting bored and therefore misbehaving so that is part of probably part of the reason um pollution has got a as you know is thought to be a big a big factor as well in our immune systems misbehaving um as well as our lifestyles being less active you know eating more processed food, um, the quality of our soil, lots of other causes as well. That's really interesting. And my biggest takeaway from it is that I need to take my kids out and expose them to worms urgently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get to Africa, get in some swamps right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Find a local dog that's itching its bum on the ground. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just to caveat that, I'm not recommending that you expose your children to worms on purpose. Please, please don't go and do that. <laughs> it's interesting. I think it's sometimes understanding things on that level. It it just makes things click into place and make sense a little bit more. Whilst it doesn't, you know, for children, for, for families who have children with allergies, it doesn't necessarily make it any easier. But hmm. sometimes that understanding can can help a bit. Yeah, definitely. Okay, a question from my house actually, because this is happening right at the moment. Uh, we got kids with dry, tickly coughs, and it's keeping yeah. them awake at night. What what would you say is the best way to tackle that? Right. So I would say that a cough, um, both in children and in adults, is one of the things, especially in the winter months, that we as GPs see more than anything because we often, you know, people expect to have a cough when they've got a cold, uh, but then they expect, to, you know, colds usually last between one and two weeks, and then they expect all the symptoms to go away. And often there can be this really annoying post-viral cough that can persist for months and it's especially at night when it's affecting the whole household sleep it's really really annoying um and you know you you just not that you, your child doesn't have a fever they're not unwell but you just want something to help ease the cough so there are natural remedies that that can be used so honey and lemon is a very long-standing um remedy trying to put more moisture into the air so you know sometimes having a, a warm bath before bed or letting the shower run for a bit whilst they're brushing their teeth can just help to sort of um lubricate the the airways um over-the-counter remedies as well so zarbies is a is a new brand um of um that's come that's come to the market it's actually been around in the us for a long time but it's just come to the uk market and they do a cough and sore throat syrup. They do one for children and one for adults. And, um, and that contains natural ingredients that are clinically proven to help with all various different types of cough. So it has something called ivy leaf extract, which kind of helps to sort of lubricate the, the airways and hydrate. Um, it's got glycerol, which helps to soothe the sore throat. And it's also got honey. So natural, natural honey, which can help alleviate cough. So that's a good one for people to, to try. Um, other than that, have a chat with a pharmacist. But I think one thing to bear in mind is that the physiological response of cough, you know, your body coughing because the airways are a bit dry or because there's actively a, a, um, a virus there. It's sometimes people worry about a cough, a cough on its own, if the child's well, is not harmful to a child. It's not anything to worry about, but it is very, very inconvenient. And especially if it's affecting sleep. So yeah, using things like natural remedies are, are a good idea. So check out Zarbies if you haven't already. My kids have actually um, been taking Zarbies okay. for this. And 
quite often with um, medicines and products like this, they don't like the taste and they will try and shy away from it. That is not the case with that. And they <laughs> absolutely love it. And I'm having to keep it on a high shelf so that they don't uh, self-dose. <laughs> yes, that's because right. I think sometimes with, uh, especially with children, if it's not, if it doesn't taste good, it can mm. be a real issue getting them to take it, can't it? But yeah, yeah, if it tastes too good. <laughs> <laughs> have to hide yeah. it with the other calendars. <laughs> yeah, better, better, better that it tastes too good, at least then they will take it in the moment that, that they need it. Uh, so going back to immune systems, uh, question four from our community. Um, this dad says, our little one seems to be constantly picking up back-to-back colds from nursery since he returned in September. Any tips to boost his immune system, obviously, other than exposing him to worms? Yeah, 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 avoid the worms. Um, so yeah, really common, um, especially if children move to a new area or start nursery or start a new school that they're going to pick up, they're going to be exposed to lots of new viruses that haven't been before. Um, I know as doctors, um, we are quite resilient because we're exposed to a lot. But I know as a GP, when I've moved from one area to another, I tend to get exposed to a new flurry of viruses. So, and, and also when children have had one virus and they're still recovering and they get another and they're still recovering and they get another, yeah the immune system does take a hit so when it comes to what you can do to to really help support your child's immune system um it's all about lifestyle really so the first one is around nutrition um all of us should be taking a vitamin d supplement in the winter months whoever we are children adults and you know for many of us people who have dark skin people who perhaps for uh, religious or ethical reasons cover all their skin um should take vitamin d all year round as well as perhaps older people who don't get outside much so vitamin d is an important vitamin for our immune system and we can't get enough of it from food alone we need to get mo- we get nine percent of it from sunshine but in the winter months in the uk the sun isn't high enough in the sky so vitamin d but then other than that it's around having a really healthy nutritious balanced diet children under the age of five should take a multivitamin Um, but if they're above the age of five and they eat food from all the various different food groups if they're eating um, fruit and vegetables carbohydrate sources protein sources whether that's meat or or plant-based proteins, um, if they're having some um, some healthy fats in their diet, then um, most children don't need a multivitamin. But, you know, in this type of scenario where you feel like your child's getting virus after virus, it's not harmful for them to take one. So it might be worth thinking about that for a few months. Um, otherwise, the things that help support a healthy immune system getting enough sleep and rest, which is, I know, particularly challenging with teenagers, especially. And, you know, to give teenagers their fair dues here, when you're in your teenage years, your chronotype, which is your body clock, changes. And teenagers actually naturally want to go to bed very, very late and get up very, very late. It's not their choice. They're not being lazy. They actually don't feel tired till later. So asking a teenager to go to bed at nine o'clock is like asking um, an adult to go to bed at 6.30, but that's what we do. And then we expect them to get out of bed. So the world isn't designed for teenagers and no wonder they're tired. Um, But getting enough sleep is really important and good quality sleep. If that's an issue, think about sleep hygiene measures, which you can look up, which is essentially making your sleep environment like a cave. So dark, cool, um, with minimal distractions. Um, physical activity as well. Sometimes people get a bit confused about how exercise impacts your immune system. Um, but being 
active is actually really good for your immune system. People who are extremely active, you know, athletes or children who play sport every single day, then if their immune system is a bit under under attack because you've had lots of viruses, then actually doing too much can be detrimental. But remaining active, you're moder moderately active is a good idea. Um, and then, you know, stress as well. Stress impacts our immune system quite a lot, um, which can be more difficult to manage, especially for children. Um, but then, yeah, so thinking about talking about that if your child is experiencing stress, but it is generally about the lifestyle. So good nutrition, being active, getting good sleep, trying to, you know, do what you can to, to limit stress if that's a factor. Um, and yeah, not wrapping them up in cotton wool, letting them go and explore, but no worms. <laughs> no worms. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that something every, every parent encountered at one point or another is a kid with a high temperature. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm quite lucky. My wife is a, um, was a pediatric intensive care nurse for many years. Right. Uh, and now works in the community doing clinics. So it's not something I have to worry about because I know she's, she's got that handled, you know? Um, but I think there are a lot of parents who see that high number on the thermometer and start to panic. Oh my gosh, like, is this, is this A&E worthy or is this something I can tackle at home? Yeah. What are the best ways of bringing kids' temperatures down specifically, um, when you're at home? Yeah. So, so babies aside, um, toddlers and up, that number on the thermometer for a parent can be really alarming. But let me tell you what happens in a doctor's mind. So we often might be speaking to a parent on the phone and they'll say, you know, my child had a temperature of 39.5 and that's really scary. So for me as a doctor, you know, that's registered, but the temperature, the number doesn't alarm me and that's because let's explain the reason for a temperature so when you encounter let's say a common cold virus or norovirus common winter viruses um your body is very clever and what your immune system actually does it's your own immune system that raises your body's temperature the reason it does that is that as a human being you can survive with your temperature being a couple of degrees higher but these viruses usually can't. So it's a way of your body trying to create an environment that is unpleasant for you. It feels awful when you've got a temperature, but to try and kill off the virus. Um, so therefore, sometimes, you know, if a child is completely well, if they've just got a temperature, but they feel okay, they're still eating and drinking, you know, they play maybe a bit tired, not their quite usual selves. You don't have to treat the temperature. You can leave the temperature. Um, but, you know, usually when a child has a temperature, they also feel dreadful. They might have a headache, be off their food, be very quiet, very lethargic. So, so therefore it is better to treat it, but you're not treating the necessarily, you're not necessarily treating them to bring the temperature down. You're treating their symptoms. So something like paracetamol or ibuprofen is absolutely fine and probably the first thing to go for, for a child who's feeling unwell with a temperature. I wonder with your wife being a paediatric intensivist, did she, with your children, is she sort of like, well, they've got temperature, but they're fine, leave them to it. Or does she yes. treat straight away? <laughs> she leaves them to it, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, as when they were very little, uh, we took the, one of them to the GP after a couple of days of, of battling a high temperature. And she said to the GP, oh, uh, yeah, last night the temperature was 40 and um, this, that and the other. And the GP said, did you not take them to A&E? 
she said, no. She said, I think next time, next time is 40 or up. Maybe that's a cause for a trip to A&E. Yeah, um, I think 40 and up. I don't necessarily think it's cause for it. If, if it's a well child, then it's a, then you know give them some paracetamol ibuprofen. And I think if you're at all worried, if you think actually my child's well, but I feel uncomfortable with them having this temperature because that's scary for me as a parent, then even if you're treating your own um, anxiety or your own concern, it's fine. Give them paracetamol ibuprofen. If that temperature comes down and they start running around again and eating. In itself, that's quite a, it's quite a test to see, is this something serious? And if it settles and they're fine, that's quite reassuring, I think, as a parent, isn't it? That actually, you know, their temperature is just a, a normal viral temperature. Obviously, you know, I can't even talk about this without just mentioning, always just assess your child if they've got a high temperature for any signs of meningitis. So looking for, you know, if they if they can't bend over and put their own socks on because they've got pain, that's a worry. Uh, headache that won't go away. Or if they've got a rash, you know, the glass test. If you don't know what that is, please look it up. But expose all their body and look for any strange um, rashes that don't, that when you press a glass on them, they don't go paler, they still stay dark. Hmm. Fantastic advice. Okay, final question from our community then. How do you get a good night's sleep when you're run down and how do we help our kids do the same? Okay, so when we run down or, you know, if we're ill, we tend to sleep a lot and that's because that's what our body needs. Well, so much stuff happens when we're sleeping. We tend to think of it as this, passive process where everything winds down and stops but actually that's not true it's a very active process there's a lot of stuff going on um so usually in the first part of sleep is when your body is dealing with all the physiological stuff so you know restoring your immune system um repairing muscle building muscle and then in the second part of sleep is kind of like the more mental health bit so that's when your brain is looked after your memories are formed um and you know your your sort of mental your mental health is is looked after as well so so sleep is really really important but the question around how to get a good night's sleep there are some, for people who are struggling with sleep or if you have children who are struggling with sleep there are i mean it's not straightforward it's difficult and every case will be different but just some sort of general measures that everybody can have a think about is something called sleep hygiene and sleep hygiene has two main bits to it. It's about preparing the place of sleep and then preparing the person for sleep. So the first bit, the place where you sleep, ideally should be, it should be like a cave. It should be cool, around 18 degrees would be perfect if you're able to set your temperature. It should be dark. So thinking about things like blackout blinds can make can be a really good investment, you know, relatively cheap investment that can help people. So cool dark with minimal distractions. So even, you know, like fancy paintings on the wall might be like, might be really nice, but ideally you wouldn't have that. And certainly no screens um, or other distractions, TVs, things like that. So lots of people will have those things in their room and they're sleeping fine. It's okay. But for people who are struggling with sleep, removing screens from the room is, is really quite important and can make a big difference. Um, so that's about preparing the space and then preparing the person. So a bedtime routine, like we all do, we do it with our babies and our toddlers. We often have a bedtime routine, which that's really important because what it does is it tells the brain that it's time to start getting prepared for sleep. And lots of things happen in the brain, lots of hormones. People will have heard probably of melatonin, which is a sleep hormone. When you start winding down and 
doing your routine for bed, your brain's like, oh, okay, right, it's time to sleep soon. I'll start doing all the bits I need to do so that sleep happens quickly and we have good quality sleep. So for children, we tend to have bath time, um, maybe a story, um, and we can do the same for ourselves as adults and we can encourage older children to do the same. So whether it's a bath or it's a hot milky drink or it's um, reading a bit of your book. And then when you actually go to bed, you know, removing all screens, sometimes writing things down, writing a list of thoughts that you need to pick up the next day. So you've let go of them. Some people find that helpful. Or, you know, the one excuse I think for having your phone in the bedroom is if you want to listen to a sleep story. And sleep stories are designed to be very detailed. So, you know, I once, I once worked with a sleep scientist and the question they were asked was, does counting sheep work? And the answer is no, because it's too straightforward. Um, unless you sort of start at a thousand and remove seven each time or something like that, counting sheep is too straightforward. But a sleep story is designed to be very detailed. So it'll often talk about the colours and the surroundings and what it does is it distracts the brain from all the busy noise. Um, so for people who struggle, yeah, a sleep story or a meditation before bed, but really it's about the routine. 30 minutes before bed, get rid of screens and start your routine, whatever that is. And that tells the brain to start releasing all the hormones and chemicals to help you on your way. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Zoe Williams. It's been fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I think yeah, it's been, you've been one of the most valuable guests we've had because Aww. just every, every dad, every parent listening to this is going to take something away from that. And, you know, I think that's absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for making the time to speak to us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And just a shout out to you guys as well and all the dads that are listening. I think these sorts of podcasts are so important and it's great to see, you know, dads forming a community in the same way that mums often do because I think it's as a parent, like parenting is so hard, man. Like I'm a doctor, mm, but parenting's yeah. way harder than being a doctor. So. <laughs> <laughs> so hats off to you guys for forming that community. I think it's so important. Dad's Net Original Podcast.